This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Life as we know it is cyclical. And no matter what you're experiencing right now in your life, believe me when I tell you, this too shall pass. Whether you are high or whether you are low, one day you will be low and the next day you will be high. Life is cyclical. So it really is foolhardy to try to believe that what you are going through right now in your life is all there is to your life. Life is cyclical, and it will go through various stages. Yet as wonderful and majestic life can be in all of its complexity, every step of the cycle requires an element of death by something other than yourself. What I mean is simply this, church. The system or the circle of life for you and me, does not work unless something else dies. For example, the salad or vegetable that you ate was once alive, but it had to die to give you sustenance and energy. The meat that you love to eat, whether it's chicken or fish or beef or curry goat, was once a living creature, but in order that you might live, it had to die. If you have your Bibles, which was read earlier, we look at 1 John, the third chapter, and the 16th verse, where it read, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In order for something to live, Something has to die. In order for something to live, something has to die. In light of this idea, I want to speak to you this morning titled, Dying for You. And with a subtitle, The Power of Love. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for looking beyond our faults and finding our need. Today, Father, we have assembled here in person and also through social media and through all of the electronic means. We have gathered and assembled as your people. Not because we believe anything about us is so great, but simply because everything about you is so wonderful. So, Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit presence in this place and even in the homes of people where they find themselves today. Spirit of the living God, speak now, for your children are listening. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. In order for something to live, something has to die. I'll say that again because I want to make sure you understand exactly what I'm saying. In order for something to live, something has to die. The story is told of a Korean man by the name of Jai. His mom 
had only one eye. And she was, to Jai, a major embarrassment. His mother ran a small shop at a flea market where she collected little weeds and things of that nature in order to sell anything to raise the money that she needed in order to support her son, Jai, who, as far as he was concerned, his mother was a major embarrassment. One day, he recalls going to elementary school, and it was field day when all the kids were around, and his mom came. Jai was so embarrassed. How could you do this to me? He thought as he threw her a hateful look and then ran out. The next day at school, the kids asked him, your mom has only one eye. Why does your mom have only one eye? And they taunted and they teased Jai. He wished that his mother would just disappear from his world one day. Mom, why, don't, why do you have only one eye? You're, you're only going to make me a laughing stock, Mom. Why don't you just die? In order for something to live, something has to die. His mom did not respond, and he felt a little bad at first for saying that, but at the same time, it felt good to think that he was able to get this out, something that he wanted to say, Mom, why don't you just die? Maybe it was because his mom had never punished him, but he didn't think that it would have hurt her feelings so badly because he got it off his chest. And I know you all understand what I'm saying. Sometimes you've gone through some, some things and you're dealing with some people and you kind of just need to tell them where you are. Because you need to just get it off your chest. No matter what they may be thinking or feeling, you just need to give them a piece of your mind. In order for something to live, something has to die. Jai told himself that one day he's going to make it. And even after he told his mother that story, he saw her sitting in the kitchen crying out of her one eye. And Jai said, you know what? I'm going to get out of this desperate poverty situation that we're in. This is not fair. Jai studied really hard, left his mother, eventually got accepted to Seoul University with all the confidence he could muster up. Later, he got married, and he, he, he went on to have kids of his own living happily as a successful man. He liked it because that place did not remind him anything of his mother. In order for something to live, something has to die. The happiness was getting bigger and bigger when someone unexpected knocked at his door. What? Who's this? Still with her one eye, the mother came to the door and it felt as if the whole sky was falling, but the little girl came to the door, saw the woman, ran away screaming, scared of this woman with this one eye. Who, what is this? It was Jai's mother. And Jai came to the door, screamed at her, why, why did you come to my house to scare my daughter? Get out of here now. She replied, oh, I'm so sorry. I might have gotten the wrong address. I'll get out of here now. And she disappeared. Thank goodness, he said, she didn't recognize me, he thought to himself. But feeling quite relieved of himself, he recognized that he had done something that he should not have done. Now fast forwarding the story, and I want you to stay with me in the story. One day he got a letter for a reunion at his school and decided he was going to go. 
But then he decided to stop by where he used to live, and he went there. And he found his mother fallen on the cold ground dead. But she had not shed a single tear, but she had in her hand a letter, a piece of paper. And this is what it said. My son, I think my life has been long enough now, and I won't visit Seoul anymore. But would it be too much to ask if I wanted you to come visit me once in a while? I miss you so much. I was so glad when I heard you were coming for the reunion, but I decided not to go to the school for you. I'm sorry that I have only one eye and that I was an embarrassment for you. You see, when you were very little, you got into an accident and you lost your eye. As a mother, I couldn't stand watching you having to grow up with only one eye, so I gave you mine. I was so proud that my son was able to see the whole new world for me in my place with that eye. I was never upset at you for anything you did. The times you were angry with me, I thought to myself, it's because he loves me. I miss the times when you were still young around me. I miss you so much. You mean the world to me. His world shattered. He had hated the person who had only lived for him. He cried for his mother and didn't know any way that he could make up for his lost deeds. Brothers and sisters, in order for something to live, Something has to die. Throughout the story, I was trying to make you see that this word hate permeated the entirety of the story. How Jai hated his mother, and at the end of the story, he's living with a regret, trying to figure out how can I make up for this lost time? Because what happened is, as she lay dead, there is no more opportunity in order to make up for lost time. Brothers and sisters, you are alive today because something or someone somewhere had to die. Hate in your heart is only reinforcing the fact that you just might be ungrateful for what someone else might have sacrificed on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, I'm not mincing my words. I'm making it plain as I can. In order for you to live, someone had to die. I didn't share this story either to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to bring you to a place of guilt. I'm bringing you to the place of awareness that sometimes we are critical of other people just because we might not be aware of the tremendous sacrifice that they might have made or is making for us. Even if you don't know about the sacrifice, doesn't change the fact that the sacrifice is still being made. You may be critical, some of you, of your mother, without knowing the nights that she might have spent washing someone else's clothes so you could go to school. The days spent taking abuses on her job so that she could put food on the table. Maybe as a, as a single mom, how she put aside her own ambitions and her own desires just so you could get an education. You, you, you just don't know the indignity that she may feel when you scoff at the things that she bought for you with her last penny that she could only afford, but you think you needed or deserved even more. How she sits silently 
with the burdens lingering in her heart for the pains that she carry for a family that seems to be so ungrateful. But not to be outdone. Not to be outdone. You may also be critical of your fathers. Without knowing that the reason maybe he wasn't around was because he's trying his best to keep a job that takes advantage of him because of his past history. That, that he may be trying to make ends meet, but can't find a job in a system that only sees him as a problem and a troublemaker. You just don't know what's going on inside his heart. Maybe wanting to do the best that he can, but feels a little suffocated or handcuffed by a system that has no regard for the word rehabilitation. You just don't know. You just probably don't know that the little that he maybe even earn goes entirely to his family. And while it may not be enough for you, it may just be all he has. I'm not making excuses for anyone. Don't misunderstand me. I'm simply making the statement simply by saying that sometimes you don't have all of the information. And you just don't always know the whole story. I personally think most times people want to do the right thing. And want to be there for their families. But we just don't always know the whole story. Sometimes, sometimes, something or someone has died inside of themselves so that you can live. In the book of 1 John, it begins with these words. What was from the beginning? This is John speaking. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is talking about Jesus. He has seen Jesus who was spoken of from the beginning. He touched him, held him with his hands, and saw him. He's talking about Jesus. And he's saying this life is manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and is now manifested to us in Jesus. In other words, everything that the scriptures had talked about, what God would do for his people in terms of giving them eternal life was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And John is saying, we've seen him, we've touched him, we have heard him. This is what John is saying. He says, what we have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you. So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Brothers and sisters, let me make it clear. John is saying to each and every one of us that everything you have read in the scriptures is true. Jesus is who he said he was because I've seen him. I've seen what he's done. I've heard what he has said. And I know it to be true that he is the one that was spoken of. And oh, by the way, if we have fellowship with him, we have fellowship with the Father. And I'm telling you this story just so you can believe. Because if you believe, you will have fellowship with us as we had fellowship with him. That's what John is trying to establish for all of us. This idea of Fellowship with Christ is something that John is saying, if we have it, your joy will be made complete. 
The entire structure of 1 John, the book of 1 John, is centered on this idea of fellowship with God. Stay with me because we're going somewhere. Fellowship with God is something that every single Christian, every single believer ought to do everything in their power to try to get. That's why the scriptures also tell us, do not forsake the assembling of the saints, right? There is something about the fellowship with the saints that bring us closer to fellowship with the eternal father himself. Can I look at you, whatever I'm thinking in my heart about you, and still see the father? The love of the father in your eyes. Can you look at me? And see the love of God in me, despite how you may feel about me yesterday. It was written by the Apostle John, who was the last remaining apostle. And it had now been some 50 years since Jesus had physically walked the earth. John had walked with Jesus. John had talked with Jesus. He had seen him heal the sick. He had watched him raise the dead. And he watched him die. But he also witnessed the resurrection of Jesus coming back again and ascending to heaven. John saw all of this. And he had experienced true fellowship with him. John watched him teach. John watched him serve. John watched him minister to others. John knew Jesus. John knew God. Now, out of concern for this generation, John wanted every single one of us to know that we have assurance of the indwelling God through an abiding relationship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to you the gospel, right? John wants this generation whether it's millennials, Z, boomers, whatever. John is writing to you and to me because he wants you to have the same fellowship to make his joy and the joy of all the saints behind us complete. But it can't happen until you have this fellowship. This is where John is going, right? Now, my goal here, again, is not to go into the whole analysis of the book of John. I just want you to get to this specific point as I unpack the letter for you. John is talking about fellowship with God, but he introduces in this letter the concept of love. Let's pick up the text, the context, beginning at 1 John 3 and 7. Remember, fellowship with God. Listen to John's words, and I'll read it slowly, because you need to hear John. Little children, you and me, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his God's seed abides in him, and he cannot sin. He is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. All right? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I hope right now you're starting to think in your minds, wait a second. I still sin. I still practice things that is not of God. 
I still have unrighteousness. And John is clear. John says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. John, what are you trying to tell me? What are you really saying? Well, the letter goes on. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain slew Abel. Do not be surprised, then, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Everyone. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In order for something to live, something has to die. The thing that is most striking to me in this text is the fact that John is making a comparison between Cain killing his brother Abel and the fact that it was hateful murder, that a love of a brethren was not in Cain's heart. Now, <laughs> let me break this down to you. First of all, John says you should not let anyone deceive you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous. Not that you are righteous in your own self, but that you wear a righteousness that belongs to Christ. Then he says that the person who practices sin is of the devil. Again, it doesn't mean that you do not sin. It just means that if you continuously practice sin without any form of remorse or regret, then you're of the devil. Hmm. So there are two states. Number one, being righteous and of God. And number two, being sinful and of the devil. Which one are you? Being righteous and of God are being sinful and of the devil. But then he goes on to say Cain was of the devil because he murdered his brother. And the reason why he killed him was because he was, because Abel was righteous. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you see the parallel? Both of these texts are dealing with something that we are doing to the brother <laughs> or the sister, if you will. Both of these texts. Cain killed his brother, and we are to die for our brother. Whoa, 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 pastor. Slow down right there. Look at the parallel. Cain killed his brother, and we are to what? Die for our brother. Whoa, 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 John. <laughs> Wait a second here, John. Cain killed his brother... And we are to die for our brother. I don't know if you got it yet. Cain killed his brother. And we are to die for our brother. This is the difference between the children of righteousness and the children of the devil. How you treat your brother and your sister is an obvious indicator of who you are. How you treat those of the household of faith is an indicator of who you are. So unless you are willing to die for your brother and your sister, then you already know who your father is. Oh, my gosh. Look, <laughs> now, now, now you say, Pastor, wait a second. I ain't killed nobody. <laughs> I'm not like Cain. But yet still, you're unwilling to die for the one you say you love. 
Maybe your mother or father, sister or brother, cousin or friend didn't have only one eye and was an embarrassment to you. But in your heart, you harbored a hate that says, I wish you were dead. Jesus lets us know. He says, Jesus says, listen, you shall not murder. For anyone who commits murder will be subject to judgment. But he didn't stop there. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to the judgment. So harboring hate in your heart for other people, especially those of the household of faith, is really pointing to really what kind of child you are. Brothers and sisters, Christ wants to have fellowship with each and every one of us. If you are not in fellowship with Christ, make no mistake about it, it's not because of Christ. It's, the question is, What's in your heart? Because the fact of the matter is, something has to die in order for something to live. That's the, that, that is the point. So, what's in your heart? Is it anger? Is it envy? Is it jealousy? Is it unforgiveness? Is it guile? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it malicious intent? What's really in your heart? And that's a question for you to answer by yourself on your own. Because the very thing you want from God, you can't receive. Because the very thing you want is something that is in your heart that is hindering the love of God from coming in. You want to know. You want to know how close or how far you are from God in your relationship? Look at how you treat people. And remember what I told you. You don't know their whole story. Amen. Because the fact of the matter is, none of us is anyone's judge. I can't judge you any more than you can judge me. Not because I might put on a white robe, you may say, Pastor's holy. Yeah, holy mess. But for the love of God. But for what Christ has done for me. And the text clearly showed us that he, he laid down his life for us. In order for something to live, something has to die. However, the next verse says that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, meaning that is pointing to a willingness to die. Not, not some fatalistic desire to prove your love by running out there and letting a bus run over you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a willingness to allow yourself to suffer on behalf of someone else. So, so dying to yourself looks very different depending on your own life. What, what I'm really saying is, maybe I will regard someone else's needs above my own. Amen. Maybe. M maybe I will not seek after what I want, but I will seek after what is good for other people. M maybe. M maybe. Maybe I will not think more highly of myself than I ought to. Maybe I'll be willing to let people get the best of me, not merely to be a doormat, but to give someone else an opportunity to feel a sense of worth. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Maybe I will let others win for a change. Maybe I will put my own feelings and aside. Maybe I will put the relationship before my own guilt. Put the relationship before my shame. Put my relationship before my own attitude. Maybe I will put the relationship before my own pride. Maybe 
maybe I will carry my cross and if necessary carry someone else's cross as well this is the death to self that John is talking about and it focuses on having true fellowship with one another the kind of fellowship that says so that you too may have fellowship with the saints of old and indeed all together our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ these things the apostle write to us so that their joy may be made complete so the bottom line is this dying for you means dying to self and in so doing you demonstrate the greatest love of all that's the power of love in order for something to live something has to die well the apostle paul says in romans fifth chapter and the seventh verse very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person some might possibly dare to die so not everyone is willing to give up their own pleasures their own their own you know their own joys for someone else not everyone is willing to do it i can be honest with you there are times i don't want to give of myself for anyone and i'm the pastor but there's a part of me that needs to let go of my own selfish desires so that someone else somewhere might be the beneficiary of my sacrifice Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a booger, Christ died for you. While you were still selfish, Greedy, backbiting, backstabbing. All of the things you can think of that you know you don't want to claim. While you were still a booger, Christ died for you. Still. So Jesus died for you and me. Which is the perfect demonstration of his love. And like Jai's mother who gave her one eye for her son so that he could see. Jesus didn't give an eye. Jesus didn't give a nose. Jesus gave his life for you so that you and I could live. That's what love does. Love gives. Love gives Perfect love gives perfect gifts. Love gives, but love also dies. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is forgiving, but love dies. Perfect love dies, and Jesus is love. Jesus is love. And Jesus died so that you and I could live. John 10, and I'll end here. John 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. Are you willing to die to self for others? That's the question. Are you willing? Maybe you're not willing. And you need to be honest with God about that. Because until you are willing to die to yourself, guess what? It's very likely that you needing other people to be willing to die for you might not happen. Are you willing to admit that you don't know the whole story that's going on in everyone's life? You don't know the whole story. Are you willing then to learn the truth? If you are, if you are, then I invite you to come to Jesus. For in coming to Jesus in obedience, you will make my joy, our joy, the joy of Moses, the joy of John, the joy of the Apostle Paul, the joy of Elijah, Jeremiah, Abel. You make all our joys complete. But it first begins with you dying to yourself. Because Jesus is literally dying for you. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.